Let's all pray together and just go to him in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and blessings, God. Thank you for the privilege to be in the house of the Lord. We ask you to bless us each and every one here this morning. Touch our lives and hearts, God. We ask you, Lord Jesus, that you might bless each and every individual. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Turn to your neighbor, shake their hand, greet them in Jesus' name. Tell them they look nice. Amen. God bless you. And we're delighted for all of you that are with us here today. Praise God. Well, we're back to beans and cornbread today. Amen. Brother Duffy, didn't he do a great job last week? Brother Duffy, he did a great job. God bless him. He's a good man. And uh, since he's been in Florida, he's gotten all kinds of revivals lined up and, and is doing good. So everything's working out real good. We had a great weekend last weekend celebrating our 50 years. Amen. Good. It's a good program for everybody. And the Lord moved and it was, a, it was a great time. Praise God. Today, I'm going to get back into the lesson that we have been studying in the book of Daniel. We are in the book of Daniel and Daniel is probably the beginning of the heavy prophecy. I call it heavy in the sense that Isaiah had things he mentioned about things that happens uh, that will happen during the tribulation period and other and Jeremiah and Ezekiel as well but uh, Daniel gets into it in a very interesting way and he did not get into it of himself but God directed him into it and uh, <clears throat> we talked about how that um, Daniel was uh, in the captivity brought over from uh, from Israel and in 606 B.C. under Nebuchadnezzar. And during Nebuchadnezzar's first year of his reign, after he had got back, or the second year of his reign, after he had done all of his conquering roundabout, uh, he had this dream, and we talked about that. This is recorded in the seventh chapter, the second chapter of Daniel. And in the second chapter of Daniel, Daniel had a, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Daniel interpreted it with the help of the Lord. Of course, God gave him the interpretation and he interpreted it and said that it was the, uh, it, was an, uh, it was the empires that would rise and fall. Let's see if I've got a picture of it here, yeah. And the second chapter of Daniel, I'm just mentioning this very briefly here now. This is a picture of it on the screen. I think our lights are a little stronger than they have been. But this is uh, somewhat the image that he saw and uh, this is just a drawing, of course, an artist's drawing of it. And, uh, and then, of course, it was interpreted. He said, there at the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. This is Babylon. And then the media Persian Empire would follow the Babylonian Empire and would conquer the Babylonians. The Greeks eventually would conquer the media Persian Empire. And then the Romans eventually would conquer the Grecian Empire. And then it would come on down into the end of what's called the Roman Empire as it would go right on down to the end of time. And we're not even there yet. And that's at the very end of time whenever Jesus Christ comes back uh, in his glory and in his power. And then he sets up his kingdom on this earth, which is a thousand years of peace. And we won't get into all those details at this point. But this is what this, this is called the time of the Gentiles. It's mentioned in, uh, in uh, Luke 
chapter 21, verse 24, and also mentioned in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, and uh, about the times of the Gentiles. Both Paul and Jesus mentions that. So this is a period of time in which God would say that Israel would always be subject to a Gentile power. Also, it would be during a period of time in which God would deal with the Gentiles to establish for himself a people. And that's, uh, as we know of, as the church today. So it is a people out of every kindred, tribe, people, tongue, and nation. That's the church. And that will, that will stay, it will exist, it will last until the Lord comes back for his church, for his church. He will come back for his church in the rapture and then go through the tribulation period, the world will. And then after that, then he will come back with his church, with ten thousands of his saints as the Bible describes it. Now, what I'm talking to you here about the book of Daniel here is all this is mentioned in the second chapter. We've already talked about it. I won't spend a lot of time here in detail on that. But then when we go to chapter 7, Daniel has a vision of his own. This dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2 of Daniel, Daniel simply interprets what the dream was. He never had the dream himself. But God gave him the dream and the interpretation to tell the king what he dreamed and what the interpretation was. And that's the way God does things. And after that, why Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were all uh, exalted and they were honored and they were put in high positions in in the Babylonian courts. And they fared well, I guess as far as those things are concerned, they fared well in this strange land where they were they were captives but they were also in high positions and the time rocked along and uh, <clears throat> the bible tells us here in chapter 7 i want to read chapter 7 to you uh, nebuchadnezzar had died one of his sons had taken the throne for a few months he had passed on whether killed or died whatever happened to him another one of his sons took the throne then another one of his sons took the throne And then after him was a grandson that took the throne. His name was Belshazzar. And Belshazzar was on the throne when Daniel had this vision in the seventh chapter. Seventh chapter, and it was 50 years later. 50 years later. Daniel was about 17 years old when he interpreted the image with the metallic uh, legs, legs of iron, hips, you know, chests of silver, hips of brass, so forth. When he interpreted all of that, He was about 17 years old. Now he was about 67 years old, 50 years later. And Daniel is an older man. And uh, he is, so this is what happened. I'm not going to go into this because we talked about it last week. But if you look with me very briefly here in this seventh chapter, verse one, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. And then it goes on to say that he saw these beasts come up out of the sea. And we talked about that last week. And I won't go into a lot of detail again about it because we've already covered it. Because I want to get into the eighth chapter here today. But in the seventh chapter, he saw these four beasts come up out of the sea. This is one artist's uh, rendering of those beasts coming up out of the sea. And they were described, a lion with wings. Uh, There was a bear with uh, three ribs in his teeth. Then there was a leopard that had four heads and four wings. This is very significant. And we'll be looking at this today, this leopard factor here. 
And then there was the terrible beast that came up at the very end, four beasts that came up out of the sea. This is the way uh, one of the other artists draws it, very simple, so that you can sort of see it and understand it maybe a little better. A lion with the wings, the bear with the three ribs, the leopard with the four wings, and so forth, and then the terrible beast with the ten horns at the very, at the very end here. And uh, those are just artist drawings. This is what Daniel had a vision of in the seventh chapter. And the Lord let him know that these beasts that he saw in this image were the same empires. Empires as was the image with the metallic body parts. The head, the chest, the, the, uh, the hips, and the legs, and so forth. And it was head, gold, silver, chest, uh, brass in the hips, and, and then down in the legs was iron. And then feet was iron mixed with clay and so forth. And so he let them know it was the same empire. The Babylonian empire would be the first. Then there would be the Media Persian empire. I'm going to show you this on the map in a few moments. Then there would be the Grecian empire that would rise. And the, this one would conquer this one. This one would conquer this one. And then finally, the Roman empire would conquer this one. And of course, in history, as we look back, all of that happened exactly as the Bible prophesied that it would happen. And this is the interesting thing about the Word of God. It is always right. And as I've said to you before, reading the Bible is like reading tomorrow's headlines. So uh, what, what you read there is going to be right, and it's going to be right on target. I'm going to, I want you to look, however, at something very specific here. If you look at verse 7 with me, we want to talk to you for a moment about this fourth beast. Just a moment. I'm going to move on then in chapter 8. But this is where we're headed. I'm going to, let me put this one back up. This is the fourth beast that Daniel saw. Can everybody see that pretty good? All right, this is the fourth beast, ten horns. And uh, like I said, it depends on what artist draws it uh, or whatever, however they do it. I think some are photographs that are sort of put together. But uh, this one shows you the ten horns. And I want you to look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 7 with me very quickly here now. I'm trying to bring you from last week before last. We've been having a week, and then we'd skip a week, and then have another week. So I'm having to bring you back up from two weeks ago. Amen. Look at verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly. That's this last beast that he saw in chapter 7 here of these four different beasts that rose to power. This one, and he goes on to say here, uh, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, yet it had great iron teeth and it devoured and break in pieces. Very same language that's used in chapter 2 when it just talks about the irons of leg, the eggs of the, the legs that are made of iron that they break in pieces. And he goes on to say here, and he stamped the residue with the feet of it and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. It was different than all the others. It doesn't even tell you what kind of beast it was. It just said it was a terrible beast. It doesn't say it was like a lion or leopard or a bear or anything like that. And it said it had ten horns, ten horns, which the ten horns on this sort of coincides with the image having ten toes at the very end. So this is the last beast, and of course the ten horns has significance here as well. Now, look at verse 8. I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, sort of reviewing a little bit of from two weeks ago. So everybody's still with me. Because I'm going to get into chapter 8. This is a very interesting chapter that we're going to be getting into. Look at verse 8. 
I consider the horns, and behold, there came up among them, that is the ten horns, among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, out of this horn, this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. So we know that this little horn is speaking of somebody who is going to rise in power. And uh, it sort of describes it here, talks about it uh, here somewhat in this seventh chapter. It had eyes and a mouth speaking great things. The, uh, then finally he goes on to say in verse 15, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 20, I'm looking at verse 20, uh, Daniel 7, 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head, this is the interpretation that came of it, and of the other which came up before it with whom three fell, even the horn that had eyes and a mouth speaking great things. Notice that phrase. And uh, look at verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints and the Most High to think ch change times and laws and they shall be given into his hand for a time and times and the dividing of a time. A time is a year. A time is plural is two years and the dividing of time is a half a year. So you got three and a half years mentioned there. And this phrase about three and a half years, even in 42 months or 1,300 days or something like that uh, is mentioned sometimes. It's mentioned the four times in the book of Daniel, five times in the book of Revelation, letting us know that there is a correlation of that. Now, I want you to notice in what I've just read to you, there was a mouth speaking great things. I touched on this last week, but let me just read uh, not last week, week before last, look in Revelations 13. And if you've got your Bibles right in the, the, the head of your 13th chapter of Revelation, right in there, the, the Antichrist. This whole chapter is about the Antichrist. And the last verse in chapter 18 says, Here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of his name, for it's the number of a man, and his number is 6666. Okay, 606. So it's the 666 that we know about. The 13th chapter is all about the Antichrist. Look at verse 1 in 13. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns came uh, with it upon his head the name of blasphemy. Blas Notice the blasphemy part of it here. Down in verse 5, and there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. Here's that three-and-a-half-year factor again that's put in there. If you look at verse 6, and he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And this Antichrist, this is speaking of the Antichrist, he's going to be a, ba a big blasphemer of God. Let me say one thing here. Can I just get off the cuff, off the, off the record here a little bit? Be careful what you watch on television. I'm serious, folks. It is getting so raunchy. I mean, you know, sometimes I know people say, oh, well, maybe they want to watch something uh, that's just sort of like a little homespun or something like that. And it, I don't know why. It's like they just pulled the cork. It's like they pulled all reservations. And, and it's just filthy, filthy, filthy talking and everything. And it's not just degradable type talking is you know it's blaspheming God you know it's just terrible things 
And they speak, you know, the Bible says, you know, not to bless, not to uh, take the Lord's name in vain. You know what the name of the Lord is? It's Jesus. And if you almost have a record, you say, Jesus, the Lord comes to your rescue. A lot of times that happens. That happened to my daughter. She had a wreck that was happening in front of her, and she was going to be right in the middle of it. And she closed her eyes, threw up her hands, and said, Jesus. And when she came around, her car wasn't touched. The two cars that had crashed in four, one of them was behind her, and one was ahead of her. And she wasn't even touched. She didn't know how, but she cried on G at Jesus. Remember, remember that. Call on the name of the Lord in a time of need. But when you use the name of the Lord in vain, and Jesus is the name, and people use that name Jesus, and they say Jesus Christ in vain. It's just with a, with a slam. Oh, blah, 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 you know. And they use the name Jesus Christ. That is against the scriptures. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And they do it wholesale on, on some of this stuff. I don't know why I'm saying this, but I just feel led of the Lord to talk about it for just a minute here. But be careful what you give your ears to hear and your mind to listen to. And all of that stuff, this stuff is getting worse and worse and worse. So when the Antichrist comes and he blasphemes God, there's nothing new under the sun because people have gotten where they are used to all of that. All right, I'll move on. But I just want to say that's for free. Praise God. Amen. Everybody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So anyhow, this guy was a, was a blasphemer and he carried on and so forth. <clears throat> and, uh, and he shall... Do this for three and a half years. Now, I, uh, this is all about, so what the, the little horn in Daniel 7 is talking about the Antichrist. We could compare some more notes, but I think we'll move on here in the chapter 8 because chapter 8 is where I want to get to. So if you'll just bear with me here, we're going to move into chapter 8 here on this, uh, on this next one. And chapter 8 is a very interesting chapter because it happens, it's a vision that Daniel had two years after he had chapter seven, chapter seven, when he had that vision, it was seven was 50 years after uh, Daniel chapter two. But chapter eight is only two years after Daniel chapter seven. And Daniel had another vision and another dream. And now Daniel's getting to be an older man. He's probably now about 69 years old. I didn't say old, you got that. I said an older man. He's old now, he's been an older man. He's about 69 years old at this point. And he has a, uh, a, he has a dream. And I want you to look with me in chapter 8, in the third year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember the seventh chapter says in the first year. Now we're in the third year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, Belshazzar. Uh, Belshazzar, and he had a vision. Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody still with me? Now, here's a, here's a third vision, but it's only Daniel's second vision. First one, he interpreted the vision or the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And he goes on to say here in this eighth chapter and first verse, in the third year of the reign of the king of Belshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which had appeared unto me at the first, speaking of chapter seven. And then he goes on to say here what he saw, verse three. Look with me in three. I'm saving time here by skipping a few verses. <clears throat> then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns 
and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. All right, now I'm going to show you a picture of a ram. This is one of our brothers. I don't know where he got it, but I appreciate him doing it. But uh, here's the ram that he saw. Just to give us a visual here. It'll come on. He saw this ram. All right. And his horns, uh, he had two horns, and one was higher than the other. Uh, and then in verse 4, and the higher one came up last. This is interesting because it coincides with history perfectly. I'll tell you what these horns represent in a few moments. Verse 4, I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that should deliver out of his hand. But he did that according to his will and became great. All right? Now, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Everybody stay with me on this. We'll get back to that little horn factor in a moment. This is another picture here that I'm going to give you. If you look at verse 5, and as I was considering, behold, an he goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn, not a noble, but a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which had been standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fury of his power. Now, before I get into that, let me identify who the ram and the, and the uh, he-goat was. If you look down in chapter 8, down in verse 20, this is where Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, had been sent from God to give Daniel the interpretation of this vision he was having. And in the course of him giving the interpretation, uh, Gabriel said to him, the ram which thou sawest, having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. Now that's the second king, uh, kingdom brother, the second kingdom. If you remember that, there was the Babylonians and then there was the Media Persian Empire. Going back to the image factor here on the chapter two, the Media Persian Empire was the second kingdom. And so this uh, he goat over here in the chapter eight represents the second kingdom just like in chapter 7, the bear represented the kingdom. The Lord used different animals because one represented the military power of these empires and the other represented the nature of these empires and so forth. I won't get into detail on that. But just pointing out to you, the Bible very clearly states that the he-goat is the Grecian empire, that would be the third kingdom, and that the ram would be the second king, which was the immediate Persian empire. And then it goes on to say, that these two, of course, came together. And uh, this is one that just shows them looking at each other. I guess that's, <laughs> they sort of had a standoff there, I guess. It'll come on clear in a moment. There we go. So this is a picture that bears that out. Now, look with me here in verse 7, if you would. Verse 7, I'm in chapter 8, verse 7. Everybody still with me? All right, I'm going to tie these together in a moment. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler. Choler means anger, very intense anger. He was moved with choler against him. 
and smote the ram and break his two horns, and there was no power in the ram to stand before the he goat, or him. But he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. And so what happened was that this, uh, this Grecian empire smoked the Media Persian empire. Now that's exactly what happened. The Media Persian empire uh, overcame the Babylonian empire and ruled and reigned for about, uh, about 200 years. And then the Media Persian empire came into the picture and then they dominated the whole world at that time. Now, I don't know, I've never seen this, but I've heard of it. And I read history a lot, and sometimes I hear about some movies that they've made that's based on history. But there's supposed to be a movie that's called 300 or something like that. It's supposed to be about the Greeks withstanding the Persians when the Persians tried to come in. Because the media Persian Empire was that second empire. And they were conquering everything and everybody. They included Palestine and everything. Uh, they, they just came in and conquered everything. And uh, they had Egypt and everything. They had it all conquered. And they would try to conquer Greece. And these Grecians would always be able to stand and somehow or another hold them off because the Persian was a long ways from home and the Greeks were able to. And Alexander the Great eventually came out of that group. Now, I'm going to get into this a little bit deeper with you because what happened here was that the Grecian Empire finally rose up in power behind Alexander the Great. This is very interesting because it's in the Word of God. And it happened in history, folks, exactly like God's word said that it would happen. And uh, here's what happens here. I want you to go with me now into Daniel chapter, uh, still in chapter 8, verse 9. We want to go to verse 9 here. Look at this with us for a minute. And out of one of them came forth a, a little horn. Uh, that's not the one I want to read to you. I'm sorry. I want to read to you over here in uh, chapter 20 again. The ram which thou sawest having two horns of the Medes and Persian. And verse 20, this is verse 21 now. I'm sorry I had you on the wrong chapter there. I'm reading 820, 821. Let me let the people up there. I, I, God bless them. They, they had to put up with me. All right, 21. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. And the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. That was Alexander the Great. Now that being broken, whereas that being broken, notice that, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Now let me just tell you what happened in history. Uh, Alexander the Great began to move across, coming from the west, began to move, and he fought these armies and fought these armies. Alexander the Great was a military genius. Napoleon was a military genius. These men were geniuses, and to them, everything was strategy, and everything was uh, design and patterns. Lies meant nothing to these men. They didn't, they didn't, whoever men had died, it didn't matter. It was the strategy that they wanted to, they wanted to see if they could make it happen. Alexander the Great had developed a strategy by which he would line his army up against another army, and then he would pull out certain men out of one side and he would decide, size up which was the weakest point in the other enemy. And he'd pull out men there and put them in front of that one. And then they would burst through that line. And then his cavalry would come in riding through that hole. 
and come in behind the enemy and immediately the enemy would be, they would be fighting both sides. They'd be fighting the soldiers, foot soldiers out here and fighting horses and cavalry back here and they would rout their army and they had, he had a style like that and it was successful. He could take a smaller army and actually defeat a bigger army with this strategy that he used and he began to whack away at this Persian empire in this fashion and he kept going. Now, <clears throat> I've told some of you about this and I'll just mention it to you again. But in the book of Josephus, who was a Jewish historian that was born 37 AD, that means seven years, about seven years after Christ was crucified. Uh, he was uh, a Jewish historian and he uh, gives this account in his records he says that Alexander the Great came to Jerusalem and was going to conquer and burn Jerusalem to the ground because he knew they were very loyal to the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire had been very good to the Jews, allowed them to go back and rebuild their temple and their city and their walls and so forth. Nehemiah, you know the story of and, 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 uh, and, and Zerubbabel and all of those and how they did all of that. But this, uh, this uh, Alexander the Great came there and whenever he rode up to the city, the priests, having prayed and got a message from God, the priests of Jerusalem, they walked out, four of them walked out to him dressed with their priestly clothes on because the Lord had told them to do that. And whenever he saw them, he stopped his horses and his huge army behind him and got out off of his horse and bowed down to these men and said, we will not hurt you. You are safe in our hands. We just want to come through and we'll be on our way. And then he got back on his horse and one of his generals said to him, I thought you were going to level this city to the ground. And he said, these men dressed in this apparel is the vision that I had when I first began to go out to conquer the world. He said, I saw this in a dream and they were dressed in these apparel. These are men of God. That's all he said. And those priests took him into Jerusalem and showed him in the book of Daniel and this was like 300. Daniel's books was written like 500 and about 530, uh, 38, 39, maybe 5, 540 B.C. Uh, you count backwards as you go B.C., 540 B.C. Alexander the Great now, this was happening along about 533. It was like about 200 years later. And they went in there anyhow and showed him where Daniel had already prophesied about him coming and said to him, you will conquer the media Persian Empire. And they showed him in the word and everything. And he went forth. They also showed him that his life would be short-lived. Because this in here. And I'm going to read that to you. This is what Daniel said 200 years before it happened. And so <clears throat> Daniel, I'm still reading here in Daniel. And, he, and Alexander the Great never touched Jerusalem, never burned it to the ground, never did any of those things. And he goes on to say here, I'm reading still here in Daniel chapter 8 and verse 22. Now, that being broken, that is Alexander the Great, whereas four horns stood up for four kingdoms shall stand up out of that nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. This is talking about the end of that empire. Here's what happened in those empires. When Alexander the Great died in 323, he conquered the media Persians in 330. Seven years later, he died. And it had said here, that being broken, he died and his empire was not left to an individual. In fact, they even, this is recorded also in history. They tried to get him to name somebody 
and he just says, uh, God have mercy on all of you. And that's about all he said, had to say about it. And he left it up to them, and his empire was divided up into four parts. Four of his generals took a portion of his empire, and they began to rule that portion of the empire. Uh, they were called the, uh, the, the Diodachi. That means successors. And uh, this is a, let me show you this other map first, and then I'll come back to that one. This is a map here of, uh, an actual map of the three sons of Noah, where they went and so forth. But I want to show you, this is Palestine right here with the red, little red X. That's Palestine right here. And uh, this is Egypt down in here. This is the Nile River. All this is Egypt. This is Syria right here. I'll show you another map in a minute. And Syria was here, and Persia was over here. Persia, it starts along about right in here and goes, goes east. This up here is Turkey. This is Greece. And Macedonia is right up here at the north part of Greece. And, of course, you can see, Rome, you can see the boot here, Italy. But this is the empires here that would be involved in the breaking up of Alexander the Great's empire. Now, I'm going to show you a map that's a little closer up. In other words, I'm going to zero in on this area here. And this is Palestine. It's just blown up here. This is Egypt right over in here on this side. And you see where the red lines are? This is the modern day. This is Syria. This is Iraq. This is Jordan down in here within the red lines now. And everything written in red is modern. <clears throat> and over here is, uh, if, I, if I can move that map a little bit over, you can see where the, this is Iran over here. Iran was made up, <clears throat> or the Persians were made up of the Medes up here in the north and the Persians in the south. And today they are all one nation. All right. So Alexander the Great came over, came down through Turkey, came through here, conquered Egypt, all these places, then went over here and conquered this media Persian Empire, and then died, <clears throat> and then left it all to these four generals. Now, these four generals divided up his kingdom. Let me just go back to this map here for a moment. Uh, one of them was, was uh, uh, he was called Ant, uh, Antipatrius. Antipatrius took over uh, Greece and Macedonia area here. Alexander the Great had a sort of a uh, retarded son. He took that son and used him to get his own power and his place in the kingdom. Uh, the other was a man by the name of Atagonus. Atagonus took over this part of it, Turkey here, and, and, and ruled it. These two here do not play a big part in what happens after it was developed. But these other two nations make a major part and carry it right out to the very end. And that was uh, Egypt down here, and it was taken over by a man by the name of Ptolemy, uh, spelt with a P, P-T-O-L-E-M-Y, but pronounced M-A-Y, Ptolemy, the Ptolemy dynasty, and this was taken over by a man by the name of Seleucus uh, and became the Seleucid dynasty. This was Syria here. Uh, I'm sorry, right up in here, Syria. So Syria and Egypt right in here. And Syria also included uh, much of this Persian empire over here like this. There's a elongated area. So that when you have this other map that's up close, you see here how that those four parts were broken up and the two that became significant was the Syrian empire and it also included the, 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 
the uh, Iran, and of course Iraq as well, back in those days, and then the Egyptian Empire. And they were called the king of the north and the king of the south because Syria was north of Palestine and Egypt was south of Palestine. And, and in the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, we don't have time to get to that today, but in the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, it talks about these empires warring back and forth and takes you right on down to the end of time. And if you remember this, that while these empires fell, the nations never fell. They still exist. Egypt still is a nation. We have a brother in our church that's, that was born in Egypt, raised in Egypt. Uh, we, we have these people where these countries still exist. You know that Syria still exists and everything. And what is interesting here, and I'm going to talk about this next week, that the Bible talks about <clears throat> uh, another little horn that rises in power. And it starts talking about the little horn uh, here in chapter 8. Look in chapter 8 now in verse 9. Everybody there with me? And out of one of them came forth a little horn which waxed exceedingly great. Wait a minute, Brother Myers. I thought the little horn was in chapter 7. But he's also mentioned in chapter 8. Everybody still with me? (laughs) I don't think you are. Anyhow, the little horn which waxed exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, toward the pleasant land. That's Palestine. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. And it cast down some of the hosts of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. <clears throat> and it goes on to say, yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. <clears throat> and a host was given unto him the daily sacrifice for reason of transgression. And it goes on to describe uh, these conditions and these situations here under this uh, little horn of chapter 8. And then it goes on to point out some things. Look at verse 17 in chapter 8. He came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for it is at the time of the end shall be the vision. In other words, this is all that I'm showing you now is going to happen at the end of time. Just like chapter 7 said. And then then down in verse 19, and he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation. The indignation is Palestine that is overrun with Gentiles and not controlled by Israel anymore. Incidentally, while Israel is a nation, she is still subject to Gentile powers. That's where it stands even to this day. Uh, Let me move on here in this verse because my time is running out. It says, at the end of the indignation, for at the time of the end shall it be. And so what you're seeing here then is these times in which uh, this this little horn is going to rise to power. And uh, so you've got the little horn of Daniel chapter 7, and you've got the little horn of Daniel chapter 8. And some people believe that they're two different people, but they're not two different people. They're the same people because the characteristics of both of them is found also in in Revelations chapter 13, when you start reading chapters 13. Let me read a verse of scripture to you over here in uh, 824. Look at verse 824. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Not by his own power. Now you turn over here to Daniel chapter 13, and it goes on to say here, 13, 2, and the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet was likened to the feet of a bear, 
uh, the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Who was the dragon? Verse 9 of chapter 12. And the great dragon which thou sawest cast out, that old dragon was, was cast out of, uh, of heaven, that old dragon called the devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, is describing who the great dragon is. So the great dragon gave this, this little horn his power. And, uh, and it, it, it mentions that and uh, describes that here in the scriptures. Look at verse 25 here. I'm going back now to Daniel chapter 8. Verse 25, 8, 25. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he should magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hand. And that, of course, would be uh, at the end of time is speaking of the Antichrist. I'm going back to Revelation chapter 13, which is the chapter about the Antichrist, looking at verse 13 of 13, 13, 13. And he doth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth, the sight of men, and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell upon the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the, by the sword and did live. What I'm simply trying to show you here <clears throat> is that this little horn, little horn in Daniel chapter 7 and in chapter 8 is the Antichrist, is the Antichrist. And, uh, and this described it. When you get into chapters in the book of Daniel, then in chapter 11 and uh, chapter 10 and 11, it starts describing some of these things about the Antichrist and about the king of the north, the king of the south. And it's from there that we begin to understand which of these two kingdoms will the Antichrist come out of? They're both of the Roman Empire. That is the fourth kingdom, so Daniel 7 would apply because the Roman Empire controlled all of that and is still subject today to the great powers of the world. And then, of course, then to the latter days, so that when we see today all the struggle and the fighting that's going on over there with Syria, especially Syria, because it seems to imply that Syria is the one that possibly the Antichrist will come out of that country. But he'll come out at the end of time. It won't be back during uh, Seleucius' period of time, back when he was before Christ even. Jesus talked about this all happening afterwards. And uh, so it would come out at the end of time. So that we understand then that the Antichrist would come out of that period of time at the end of the world. Now, I've got about... Uh, three or four minutes, let me show you something. When we get to chapter, uh, when we get to the end of this chapter, here's what happened with Daniel. The Bible talks about verse 27. I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterwards, I rose up and did the king's business. I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. And later on, <clears throat> chapter 9, he would pray a repentive prayer. I'm going to talk to you about that next week. A repentant prayer to God about for Israel on behalf of Israel, and uh, and some things that the angel of the Lord Gabriel again came to him and began to tell him and explain to him. Now, what happened here between chapter eight and chapter nine was that this fellow, that was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Belshazzar, Belshazzar in his third year got all lifted up with pride. And he got so arrogant, and not in chapter 7 or 8, but in chapter 5, and I don't have time to go into it, it describes what Belshazzar did. 
and how that God got angry with this man. I'm going to pick it up next week. But how God got angry with this man because he got so arrogant and proud and high-minded. Folks, he was the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. He was powerful. Uh, it was like the year 538, I think it was. Uh, I mean, 538, yeah. And he was a powerful figure. And he thought he was, he had a thousand lords, men under him, that ran his empire. A thousand of them. He brought them all together to have a great big party. And then he got it in his heart to do a very wicked thing. Now, I'm going to tell you here today, and I'm going to just leave this with you. Always keep a fear of God. I don't care. I don't care who we are. I don't care how great anyone may ever become. We are always subject to the Lord. God is a controller of our lives.